Um, <clears throat> yeah, they did. They totally switched on you like that. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this series on the gospel of Mark. I hope you guys are. It occurred to me. <clears throat> yeah, you, this was Megan's idea. Preach Mark. No, I'm going to do Romans. No, do Romans. Do Mark. She was right. Uh, it just occurred to me that when we're done with this, we're going to have the whole gospel of Mark in Twitter form. Mark the Evangel one. Every story in the Gospel of Mark will be a tweet. Right, so if you're if you're not following at Mark the Evangel one or Mark the Evangelist on Twitter, you need to do that because he really has some really cool tweets and some really cool pictures that he posts up. I don't know how he comes up with them, but somehow he does. So make sure you follow there. It's also we also retweet it on our Grace Life Twitter feed and my Twitter feed, and we also uh, put it on Facebook and Instagram, so you can follow it there too. Uh, this is number eight. Or number nine? I have it the wrong number, so it's number nine. Number nine up there, number eight in my notes. So we'll just go with nine, because that's what y'all see. Uh, Jesus loves the tax man. The mood in our country, politically, is very divided. In many ways, it is really split 50-50. And it's very, very difficult for people that... If you're a conservative or a liberal, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, it's very hard to find common ground that everyone can agree on. But I think there's one place that all of us can agree. And we are in sweet unison and peace on this subject. We all love taxes. (laughs) All of us love to pay them. We love income taxes. Property taxes, those are the funnest. Sales tax, taxes, taxes, taxes. Just saying the word is fun, right? Just the way it flows off your tongue. Say it with me. One, two, three. Taxes. Isn't that fun? That is why, church, the most admired government institution is not the Army, not the Supreme Court, certainly not Congress. The most admired, adored institution in our government is the IRS. It's right up there with lawyers as our favorite things in the world. Nobody ever makes jokes about the IRS. It's adored. When you ask someone what they do for a living and they say, oh, I work for the IRS, your first thought is, wow, the IRS, you're a celebrity. Check this out. This guy works for the IRS. Now, there may be some disagreement on how much taxes others should pay. But none of us really like our own taxes. Well, this is the story that we see in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 today. Let me just read this for you. This is Jesus. And he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
So each passage we look at three, his, three applications. History, what about man, what did he do? And then theology or spiritual. What about God, what does he do? Then the devotional, what about us? What about me? What are we supposed to do? Let's look at the history of this. I want to talk about the first century tax man. He was, in fact, somebody who was despised and rejected. In Galilee, particularly, because it was kind of, Galilee was kind of an independent kind of region. They had their own little governor, and the, and the Roman Empire kind of let them do their thing. But they, they were kind of like, you know, don't tell us what to do. And in Galilee, tax collectors were a subject of particularly bitter disdain and hatred. I mean, first off, they were official representatives of the Roman Empire, an occupying force in Israel that was taking away their way of life. And most saw the presence of the taxman as an insult, as an affront. These are illegitimate usurpers taking money from hardworking people and sending it to Rome. And how did you become a tax collector? Well, it's fascinating. You became a tax collector by going to the Roman government and bidding a price against other people who wanted to be tax collectors. And the idea was, we'll give you this much money. And I promise you, Rome, that if you let me be the tax collector, I'll collect certain amount percentage more revenue than the other people who want this position. So as a result, a tax collector would lie and cheat and steal to collect as much money as they possibly could. They would collect more than they promised Rome so they could keep the extra. But by law, you had to pay them whatever they said. Basically, what happens is because of this process of, of greasing people and paying them off and buying and bidding and overcharging, it becomes a Roman-sanctioned Galilee crime syndicate. It's really what it is. It's tax collectors famous for arbitrariness, taking too much from one, not enough from another, extortion, usury, exploitation. And these tax collectors became very wealthy, living off other people's hard-earned money. Sound familiar? <laughs> a Jewish tax collector was especially reviled. Sometimes these tax collectors were Gentiles, right? But sometimes they were actually Jewish people because they're displaying a total ambivalence to the law of Moses, to the culture of Jerusalem, to the idea of Israel as its own nation. They have given in. They were social outcasts, shunned, banned from synagogues. They were despicable crooks, a disgrace to their family, a disgrace to their race, a disgrace to their country. They were hated by all good Jews. These were not popular people. But then we had the story about Levi, son of Alphaeus. Later on, by the way, you'll see Levi becomes the guy we know as Matthew. You could see why you'd have to change his name, right? <laughs> Mark, make sure you understand this is a collector tax collector named Levi, who's the, whose father is Alphaeus, and he did this so the readers would know exactly what Levi he was. He was probably pretty well known as a tax collector in the region. He's probably set up on a major toll road that's going in and out of Galilee, and it's right on the way to where Jesus would have to go to get back to Peter's house and to hang out and rest. So it's like a border tax station. Like, you can't go into this particular region that Levi was in charge of unless you pay a tax. And Levi's doing his thing. He's extorting people. He's taking more than he should. He's making a killing. Yes, he's doing it while people hate him, but he doesn't care. He's got everything he needs. 
And Levi has no idea what's about to happen to him. That the most popular person in the region, the most important rabbi of the time, the guy who's going around healing hundreds and thousands of people, is about to descend upon his life, throw him into utter chaos by calling him out of darkness into light, life, and forgiveness. The man, Jesus, who is quickly becoming a champion to the common man, is about to rock this rich tax collector's world. Surely, he has heard of Jesus at this point. He just didn't really have any interest. He has no needs. He doesn't need to be healed. He's got plenty of money. Sure, the religious people hate him, but he doesn't care. He doesn't even really care about God's stuff. He has no expectation that Jesus is about to call him to be one of the 12 most important men in human history. He would be the least likely to be called by Jesus. He's a Jewish sellout to Rome. Getting rich off decent, hardworking Jews. Surely Jesus would have no interest in this guy, in this system. But there's irony in the hypocrisy of this, right? People like, like Levi, they represented everything the religious elite rejected as unworthy, politically incorrect, socially immoral, spiritually bankrupt. What makes this ironic, though, is that these same people were temple leaders who had pretty much copied the business model of the Roman tax collector when it came to the temple. In fact, later, Jesus calls them out on this very thing that they despised about people like Levi when he says in Matthew chapter 12, 12 and 13, 21, 12 and 13, by the way, Matthew, Levi wrote this. How much pleasure do you think he had writing this? And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, not people just providing four quarters for a dollar, by the way. These are tax collectors, temple tax. And the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He says, you are just like the tax collectors. And so it's ironic, right? The, the arrogant hypocrisy of the elite who hated the tax collector are doing the same exact thing, have the same exact model. Both systems represent injustice, unfairness, dirty dealing. One was no better than the other. In fact, I would say the temple system was probably even worse because they extorted and embezzled under false pretenses of religion and peace with God. At least the Romans were upfront about their exploitation of conquered people and lands. Hey, we're in charge. You're paying money. And in return, we'll build some roads for you at least. So in some ways, the Roman tax collectors were more benevolent than the temple ones. So that's the history. Let's talk about the spiritual or the theological. I want to talk about how grace calls out. First thing I want you to see is this story right here, although there's no mention of a healing or the feeding of 5,000, this definitely is another miracle. It isn't considered, when you look at all the list of the miracles of Jesus in any commentary, or if you Google online, you won't see this listed when Jesus calls Levi the tax collector as a miracle of Jesus, but it surely was. It doesn't get the headlines like the healings, but this miracle is, to me, in my opinion, just as stunning as all the healing. 
In that moment, everything that had controlled Levi's life, everything he had built his life to be, all of that stuff that he thought was important, all the things that gave him every bit of comfort and satisfaction earthly that he could think of, all of that had no more meaning to him in an instant. Money, power, whatever it was, the world had lost its grip instantly. Because Levi, the scripture says, responds immediately. He leaves a lucrative position that he'd paid a lot of money to get, a very competitive market, and he leaves this position of tax collector behind. He now has this ridiculous, supernatural courage to follow a greater career, a greater calling than that of his own purpose. He leaves a position that had cost him all this money, and there was no miracle of healing that convinced him. No guy being dug through the roof like we talked about last week. No, nobody, a leper that is cleansed. Nothing like that that would be shocking. Nothing like that that we would think, wow, you know, if Jesus ever just came down to Sarasota and started healing people, boy, the church would really blow up. None of that takes place in the story of Levi. Jesus just walks by his tax table and says, yo, dude, put it down. Come with me. Bam, he does. The only miracle here is that Levi is so moved spiritually, not because he had a need met, but because of the way Christ touched his heart, his values changed, and now he doesn't care about taxes anymore. All he cares about is forgiveness. He's relieved. He's transformed. He is set free from the hole he had dug for himself socially, politically, spiritually. And don't kid yourself, there was a burden each day living as a tax collector. This is the miracle of today's story. Jesus gives Levi a new heart, a new soul, and a new mind, and he becomes an apostle? What? But then something else really fascinating happens. Jesus goes home with sinners. After this outrageous political public miracle of transformation and interaction, Jesus goes to Levi's house to eat a meal. And Levi spreads the word of all his little tax collector buddies. They're all there, the ones that are in the region, and they all show up at Levi's house with Jesus. Wow, there's revival breaking out in the Galilee crime syndicate. <laughs> Who would be having dinner at Levi's house, do you think? I'll tell you, bureaucrats, people climbing the spiritual ladders of success, People who don't care about the synagogue, the temple, or the latest rabbinical fad or trend. People who were looking to try to make themselves part of society when it comes to Rome. They were what they were mockingly called by Jews, Herodians. Jews who supported Herod and his power he had been granted by Rome. They are political realists, but they are spiritual nihilists. There's no spiritual component to them. There's no reason why they would have a care about what Rabbi Jesus would say. But suddenly, Levi is transformed. He has Jesus over for dinner, and he invites all his friends. And there is the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, sitting down with the most hated people in Israel. They're all there in one house. At the table with the man everyone wants to be around. 
It's disgusting. Jesus has made a total public association with the most reviled political figures and all his circle of political gangsters. He is eating at Levi's house. And you know what happens? The elite are triggered. Unlike the miracles of healing, this miracle has deeply offended the arrogant elite of society. How could this popular rabbi associate with such despicable, deplorable people? Look, he's a friend to sinners. He is associating with the most hated, corrupt, political lackeys of the day. People scorned by us, good people. It's politically incorrect. It's socially unacceptable. It's morally bankrupt. It's highly insensitive. And everyone is triggered. The scribes and the Pharisees, they can't believe that Jesus is aligning himself with these people, especially with how popular he's become. You're risking it all, Jesus. You were getting some followers here, and now you're with these people? Everyone wants to follow Jesus. He has thousands to choose from, and he chooses the son of Alphaeus, the most well-known tax collector in Galilee. It's a total disregard for social norms, religious sensibilities, What rabbi looking to build a following and impact people with truth, who calls himself the son of God, by the way, because he can forgive sins, would talk to a tax collector. John Calvin writes this. I love this little quote. This public and another way of saying a person who makes his living off of the other people's backs. This publican, politician, who followed an occupation little esteemed and involved in many abuses was selected for additional reasons that he might be an example of Christ's undeserved goodness and might show in his person that the calling of all of us depends not on the merits of our own righteousness, but on his pure kindness. This isn't a political statement by Jesus. It's far from it. You know what it is? It's a compassion statement. It's a mercy statement. It's a forgiveness statement. All right, let's get the personal side. Did you know that we're all tax collectors? All you disgusting, filthy people out there? (laughs) This was the Sunday sermon preview this week on uh, Twitter feed and all that stuff. If you're hanging out with good Christians or family, if you're only hanging out with good Christians or family, you're nothing like Jesus. So there are, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard. That's, that's mean, isn't it? There are two applications that we learn about personally in this story about Levi. One application is learning about us. The other is about the mission of Jesus. We learn what we are, and we also learn who Jesus is if we have ears to hear. Some of you may not have ears to hear this today, but I pray that you do. And here are the two important applications from the story of Levi, i.e., later on, Matthew. The first one is salvation is for sinners. Jesus has made it clear. He came to forgive and justify the rejects of religion. That's his message. The people who suck at temple worship, those are the ones I'm coming for. 
Spiritual blindness to our own condition has to be overcome if we are going to be saved from our sin. If we don't believe that we're sick sinners, then we can't receive the cure. Only those who know they need the cure can receive it. The scribes, in fact, were the sickest of all when it came to sin. All the while, they were thinking they had no need of a physician like Jesus. And hopefully, here's what happens. Hopefully, what begins to take place, humanly speaking, is we all get to a certain point in our life where you realize the way you have been living, maybe it's not terrible, but spiritually, it's a dead end. It's boring. It's pointless. 20 years after you're dead, you'll mean nothing. See, salvation is not for those who think they are righteous. It's for people who know they're not. It's for people who crave forgiveness, but know it is hopeless without supernatural intervention. Now, as far as I know, none of you here work for the IRS. If you do, just stay away from me. Just kidding. Sort of. Even if you don't think you come from the worst possible background, like a tax collector, you certainly did. We are all Levi. While you may not be a tax collector, you are all liars. We are all liars. You, we are all hypocrites. There's adulterers. There's addicts. People living buried in ignorance and unforgiven bitterness toward friends and family that are guilty of the same things that we are. Some of us live with secret wickedness that nobody knows about. You might not be as publicly scorned as Levi and his friends were, but if the truth ever got out about who you really are, you certainly would be. But the good news is Jesus knows all this. Think about that for a minute. Just as he did with Levi, what he does in the midst of being filthy, disgusting, sick sinners, in the midst of that, he offers a call of grace and healing to us that is, and this is the best part, you ready? It is irresistible. Levi didn't have a chance to reject Jesus. It wasn't free will. That's a lie. <clears throat> Levi's collecting taxes. Jesus says, let's go. Levi says, okay. You guys can have it. I'm done. That's not free will. That's irresistible grace. How awesome is that theology? That doctrine that when Jesus is going to call you, he's going to enlighten you of your need and he's going to make the call undeniably irresistible. Levi didn't say, that's an interesting offer there, Jesus. Let me get back to you after this tax season. So that's the first thing. Salvation is for sinners. That's what we learn about us. What else do we learn? We also learn we must eat with sinners. So Jesus has provided an incredibly convicting, powerful example of what the mission of the church is supposed to look like. It's not supposed to be a political revolution. 
It's not supposed to be self-righteous. It's not so we build a huge, big following. It's simply this, to remember who you were before Jesus gave you irresistible grace. And if we don't identify with the mission of eating with other sinners, we are, in fact, struggling with spiritual pride, self-preservation, or total self-denial of who we really are. And what we do in church, and I see it all across, what we do in church is we carefully, religiously craft ministries and programs that feed into a life that protect us and our loved ones from those who don't quite measure up to our level of acceptance. Maybe they're a different race, different socioeconomic background. Maybe they have struggled with different types of sins than we have. But we build structures to protect ourselves from them. But eating with sinners is a part of the calling of Jesus from Jesus. So you know what that means as a church? we got to stop trying to keep ourselves so clean. Let me tell you something. If grace life targets only attractive young families, then we're nothing like Jesus. You know what we need? We need more tax collectors. <laughs> we need them coming out of the woodwork. So let me ask a question. What is this balance, though, between living righteous and exposure to sinners? What is the balance? Want me to tell you? I don't know. Honestly, I really, I don't know what the balance is. But at Grace Life... This must be our constant, uncomfortable struggle. We, know, we must keep asking ourselves, are we going too far with this one? If we never have to ask, is that too much? We're not doing the work of Jesus. That's my opinion. It must be an uncomfortable struggle. Continual. And it's a question all of us must continue to ask constantly on a corporate level as a church and as a personal level because Jesus commands us to do so. It's very clear the church isn't supposed to be this clean, isolated sect of pretty, perfect, little, attractive evangelicals. That's not what the church is supposed to be. Unfortunately, that's what the church has become, frankly, in America. Like Jesus... We need to eat with sinners, even if it means they don't want to meet with us when we eat on Sunday morning. We'd like them to, but maybe they don't want to be with you people. We need to do this, even if it means some other Christians may not want to be a part of our church. That's possible. It's probable. Guess what? In our three years, it's already happened. That kind of mission will make people feel uncomfortable. But it, in fact, is the mission of Jesus. End of discussion. Period. There are plenty of options for those who want to stay clean. But we need to be a church that eats with sinners. Because you know what? We're sinners too. 
Ultimately, we must realize Jesus ate with us while we were still sinners. How dare we not be willing to do likewise with our money, with our programs, with our time, with our effort? That is the work of Jesus. He came to seek and save the sick and the lost and the dirty, like he did with Levi. Just like he did with Levi, he seeks them. He associates with them. He eats with them. And then by his grace, he saves them. Church, it's what he did for you. And if you are truly striving to follow Jesus, you will learn what it means to love the tax man too. Dad, there's a lot of things that we love. There's a lot of people that we love. Lord, I wish we had the same passion for the tax man that you do. Maybe it's not humanly possible. Maybe it's just a question of discipline. I don't know. But I ask for our church, for at least for Grace Life, that starting today, that you would break our hearts for the tax man. Give us an unquenchable desire to comfort them with the message of the gospel as you offer at your sovereign will an irresistible call of grace like you did with us, like you did with Levi. Levi.